This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Welcome to episode number 58. 58 just so happens to be how many squares of toilet paper internet will cost you in the future. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I know these things. I see all. You're our toilet paper oracle. I love that. (laughs) Well, if you missed our last episode, definitely go check that out. Uh, When the gang and I talked about Thai Beanie Babies. You can find that and all of our past episodes at DatingOurselvesPodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcast. As you may have noticed, we are joined once again by a friend of the show, Dan from BC, broadcasting live from a remote bunker somewhere near South Detroit. We go there now to the quarantine battle bunker for an update. Dan? Thank you, Paul. Currently, there are no midnight trains going anywhere. In fact, no trains of any kind. We have Power Rangers going 24-7 as long as the VHS belt holds. We have discovered Beanie Babies are still useful but not flushable. Oh, my. (laughs) Back to you, Paul. Uh, I'm surprised there's not even at least a midnight train to Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) No, nowhere. But the lights are all shut down. I see. You know, Dan, that might have been a little too much information. Sorry about that, Paul. All this lockdown stuff has got me a little stir-crazy. It blurs which days are which and what things I can say out loud and which things should stay in my head. <laughs> all, I, all I can say is it's times like these you learn to love again. It's times like these time and time again. Anyways, back to you, guys at the station. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it sounds like it's getting a little rough out there. Well, as Stephen Soundheim famously penned for Madonna... Sooner or later, we're going to be fine. Remember, we will pick next week's episode topic at the end of the show. It will be Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Adam and Snicks, Are You Afraid of the Dark? versus Brian and the R&B triumvirate of TLC. So we will also visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Paul. So Paul... Tell us about one of the original SNL bad boys, Chris Rock. Chris Rock! Woo! Chris Rock was born February 7th, 1965. His middle name is Julius. He was named after his father, which is just a mouthful to say Christopher Julius Rock. I bet his parents didn't yell that out in the backyard. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Christopher I mean, Julius. Ah, uh, you, you hey you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in trouble though. Yeah, Julius is not one of those middle names that just rolls off the tongue, like especially if you're angry, you know? Exactly. <laughs> All my kids have one-syllable middle names. (laughs) Rolls right off the tongue. I still call them the wrong name and sometimes the dog's name, but we're not going there. (laughs) (laughs) You, the one that is causing trouble. Which which one of you is making that noise now? Which 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 animal in my house? (laughs) I've got a game. I've got a game. Let's play. Did you yell it at the toddler or did you yell it at your dog? Ready? Go. (laughs) (laughs) Don't lick that. 
Uh oh. Oh. Tyler or Don. Oh, that could be either. That could be either. <laughs> it was the toddler, toddler licking the dog. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Yes! Brian wins. <laughs> A thousand balloons to you, sir. Well, thank you, thank you. Anyway, so Chris Rock was born in Andrews, South Carolina. Uh, after his birth, his parents moved to Crown Heights neighborhood in Brooklyn, which seems like a long stretch. <laughs> I don't know many Southerners that suddenly decide to move to Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, that seems a that seems quite the change. I mean, it, and it it you can kind of understand a lot of his comedy is influenced about his experience as a child, especially being you know an African American in mm-hmm. a you know predominantly white school district, which I'll get to in a little bit. But I mean, it's you look at his history; it starts right there. He was born in the South, and they you know ran to Brooklyn. I can't decide if that's better or worse. Um. Well. Uh, the rent would definitely be higher. Um, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cost of living a bit much more. Yeah. Although Brooklyn back then was not Brooklyn now. So, um, That's true. it was definitely not uh, necessarily the place you wanted to be in New York, but, um, cer- certainly worse places to be, to say the least. So they were in Brooklyn for a few years and then they settled in the working class area of Bedford. Uh, his mother, Rosalie, was a teacher and social worker for mentally handicapped children. Oh, wow. Like, you want to talk about a saint right there? I mean, yeah. I couldn't imagine being one or the other. But both <laughs> combined. Yeah. But both combined. <laughs> there, there should be a shrine. His father, Julius, who he was named after, was a truck driver and newspaper delivery man. So his family was just the epitome of being the working class family then. Very much so. Um, he has uh, four younger brothers, uh, only three of which I wrote their names down. Those are Tony, <laughs> Kenny, and Jordan. <laughs> the other one shall remain nameless. <laughs> I take that back. I did write it down and then I scratched it out. And now I know why. Because in my notes it says his other brother Charles died in 2006 after a long struggle with alcoholism. Um, oh. Yep, I remember hearing about that when that happened. I did yeah. not, and now I know why I scratched it out of my notes. And that's a very somber note to continue on, but we're going forward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We, we can turn it around. We can turn anything around. This is COVID-19 <laughs> times. That's right. That's right. Hopefully at the time this releases it won't be anymore, but I'm not that optimistic, so... <laughs> Uh, as as you guys picked up right away, I was going to say, it's a very close-knit family, uh, epitome of working class. Uh, Chris Rock's grandfather was a Baptist preacher, and that's where Chris Rock um, says he got a lot of his performing style from, his paternal grandfather, Alan Rock. And I don't know why, but the name Alan Rock really makes me laugh. Why? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know. I just, it seems, it's not that it rhymes or I don't, it, Alan Rock. It just sounds weird to me. <laughs> it's like, yep, mm. this is my band. I'm Al and we're here to rock. <laughs> I got it. It, it. it does sound like a stage name. It sounds like yeah. you would like front uh, a band with the Muppets behind him, you know, um, like Animal would be there and it, it sounds awesome. I would, yeah, I would. Alan Rock and the Rockettes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Throughout his uh, elementary school and middle school and early high school years, um, 
Chris's parents decided that he should go to a better school district. So they had him bust into a predominantly white neighborhood in Brooklyn, um, where a lot of his act and uh, everybody hates Chris has chronicled where he endured bully- bullying, beating from white students. Mm-hmm. Um, as he got older, the bullying got worse and his parents pulled him out of James Madison High School. And then he dropped out of school altogether before getting his G- GED. If you're familiar with this stand-up at all, it is very much about his experience. And mm-hmm. it's as I've done uh-huh. research for this, it's definitely – I mean, everything he says is definitely true. I mean, I think that's what makes Chris Rock a great comedian is that there's an element of truth everything that he says. I mean, he, you know, exaggerates to make it, you know, humorous, but there's yeah. definitely – it's it's life is the best way I can describe yeah, it. Yeah, I I feel like other other great comedians like Richard Pryor and George Carlin, um, all of them along with Chris Rock have a very similar way of telling things that are very very real, and yep. and they that resonates with you. And I think that's what makes it funny. Is like yeah, he has this ridiculous screaming voice that he always uses, and he's very very animated on stage. But what makes it even funnier is like man, I know exactly how that feels or I've yep. seen that exact thing happen. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and that gets like really at the core. And you can tell that, especially um, when you watch like any of his HBO specials um, and he's performing in front of, you know, largely black audiences because it speaks to them on even that much greater of a level. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I, I, I often laugh by proxy. Like when I see somebody really, really enjoying a joke, that makes me almost enjoy their reaction more than the joke itself sometimes, you know? Uh, it's like, yeah. damn, that's good. I don't know, laughter's contagious that way, I guess. I feel the exact same way, and I've always referred to that as opening band syndrome. Oh. So like, it, I feel the same way like when I'm at a rock concert. I I can think of a handful of bands that I never knew of them before I saw them as an opening act. And then people around me got excited about it. So then I got really, you got excited. Yeah. I got really excited about it and I enjoyed it that much more. And then on the way out, I buy the CD and I'm like, what did I just do with $30? I, for me, like my take on Chris rock, um, I didn't really follow a lot of his standup, but when I did watch his standup and I did watch a lot of the sketch comedy that he was a part of, he he didn't pull, he didn't hold any punches like it was real and he was going to speak his mind through comedy on real life experiences and he wasn't afraid to you know he didn't want to go out there and just purposely offend somebody but he was he was there keeping it real and showing people a lot of things that you know some people didn't want to look at or think about and I complete, I completely agree. And then the other thing yeah. that I've always also always appreciated about Chris Rock as, you know, a, uh, a white kid from the Midwest opened my eyes to things that I didn't know exactly. how they were being perceived because I never knew from that perspective. But the fact that he told it like it was real, you know, opened my mind to it. And then I thought about it more and. Yeah. That's that's some of my favorite like some of my favorite comedy is those type of comedians that not only make you laugh but also make you think and sort of challenge your preconceptions and yes. I think that's what Chris Rock did really well really really well I agree yeah so I do too 
random fact that I was way too excited to know or to learn. Um, James Madison High School, the high school that Chris Rock dropped out of, is the alma mater of Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, and a really? handful of no other kidding. comedians no that way. I never heard of. But yeah, uh, apparently he graduated. I mean, it would have been like, you know, 20 years prior, but apparently yeah. they attended the same high school. And I have no idea how that came up in my searching because they're no related other than the fact that it's the high school. And it wasn't like I was researching the high school, but my guilty pleasure, and I'm almost ashamed to admit it, is Andrew Dice Clay. And I go back and I listen to Andrew Dice Clay. I loved Andrew Dice Clay when I was like 10 years old when I shouldn't have been listening to it ever. Yeah. Because he is the opposite of Chris Rock. He's offensive. He's he's just out there. He's a true shock value comic. And you go back and you listen to him now and I cringe at a lot. But growing up, for whatever reason, I absolutely loved it. I think a lot of it was the cringe factor. It's like, oh, mom and dad can't hear me listening to this. Yeah. So it's funny. It must be cool to listen to. And what's funny is I think I bought um, Andrew Dice Clay Live and Chris Rock Bigger and Blacker at the exact same Best Buy comedy album session. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Would have been 97? No, because Bigger and Blacker came out in 99. So probably two. Yeah, it would have had to been 2000 because I was driving. Anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I, that makes sense. I seriously digressed. <laughs> <laughs> so back to a stand-up. <laughs> I haven't gotten to stand-up yet. <laughs> <laughs> So Chris Rock dropped out of high school where he worked a bunch of menial jobs, various fast food restaurants, and then he ended up working for the same newspaper delivery company that his father worked for. And then while he was doing those day jobs, he be- he went straight into ca- um, stand-up and started doing comedy in 1984. I wow. did not realize that he was doing stand-up at that time. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stand-ups that you've never seen unless you were there in the moment. Sure, but sure. He- but he was doing stand-up at New York City's Catch a Rising Star, which is a very famous comedy club. A lot of big names, a lot of SNL people have come through that area. And it wasn't his goal in selecting them, selecting that as the place to do stand-up. It was more as they gave him a shot. Just yeah. And he just worked at it night after night after night. And he just kind of slowly rose up the ranks of the comedy circuit. So while yeah. working at Catch a Rising Star, um, he saw Eddie Murphy come in and sit at the bar. And this would have been shortly around the time Eddie Murphy left SNL. And uh, he was just sitting at the bar having a drink. And Chris Rock, he wasn't even working that night. He was just there taking notes and watching the other comedians. And he begged the owner. Um, he's like, hey, can you please introduce me to Eddie Murphy? And the owner was like, yeah, Absolutely. So the owner went and talked to Eddie Murphy and says, hey, I have this comic. He really looks up to you. He'd love to meet you. Would you just please say hi to him for a minute? And um, because this is the same place that Eddie Murphy got his break, he said, yeah, I'll listen to him. In the course of the conversation, he goes, hey, so when are you up? Because I want to hear your set. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be up in like three acts. Well, he wasn't on the docket for that night. So then he had to go beg for a slot. And they <laughs> gave him eight minutes. And he nailed it. Wow. That's a great story. And if you're going to impress somebody, Eddie Murphy's a guy you definitely want to have in your corner. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
I was just thinking, like, about some of the different acts that came from Catch a Rising Star. There were some big freaking names. Robin Williams played there. Uh, yep. Bill Maher, Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, there's sure. A lot of, there's a lot of big names that came from there. Um, Joan Rivers didn't come from there, but she, Joan Rivers actually did stand up there up until, uh, the year before she died. Really? Yeah. Wow. So Joan Rivers never stopped doing stand up. She never did big clubs, but that was kind of how she kept her mind on her game. And, uh, she was known for doing coffee shops and small comedy clubs and, and she never quit up until the time of her death. No kidding. I did not know that. Not to digress too much, but if you've never had a chance to watch classic Joan Rivers stand-up, highly recommended, because most people of our generation don't know her as a stand-up. We know her as a talk show host, because that's kind of where she got pigeonholed after she uh, took over for Letterman for part of the time. Yeah. And um, I think it was, yeah, it was Letterman. And, Mm -hmm. uh, after that, um, she just kind of got pigeonholed as a talk show host, but she is an excellent stand-up, and I highly recommend it. Wow. I, I, I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, back to what you were saying, though, Paul. So after uh, Chris Rock uh, did his, his stand-up in front of Eddie Murphy, is that kind of like how he got his big break, or did he still continue to do more stand-up and then finally get another big break? So he still continued to do more stand-up. Uh, Eddie Murphy did cut him a break, and he made him the valet in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. And yeah. uh, that got some name recognition, and it, it it got his name circulating, but it didn't, like, launch his career. Like, it wasn't, like, the defining moment. It was a combination of things. Uh, shortly after Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, SNL did open uh, cast calls, and... SNL open cast calls are not really open. What it is, is they post they're doing open calls, but then they really just call the people that they want to see. And Lauren Michaels called in Chris Rock and he had to audition five times. And then it was probably like months later, they actually offered them the part. So he thought he flubbed it. But along that same lines, um, uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes was doing a film called I'm going to get you sucker. I don't know if yes. you've, ever, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It yes, was, I have. it was a parody of like black exploitation films from the seventies. It's mm-hmm. hilarious. Highly recommend it. If you're used That's... to his later movies, like don't be a menace. This is not that. No, that's that. Uh, I'm going to get you sucker is the movie where you first saw, uh, his character cheap Pete. Yes. And I love Cheap Pete. <laughs> what? 75 cent? Good lord! <laughs> I'm really hungry. How much can I get for just one? <laughs> it's my favorite. Can I get one rib? <laughs> <laughs> can I just get one rib? <laughs> that is that movie, right? It's like, yeah, that, yeah. Mm-hmm, that is that movie. One rack rib? No, I just want one rib. I sure am hungry, sir. <laughs> Uh, so from there he got a handful of other small roles he uh was on miami vice uh in a you Mm -hmm. know bit part and then snl called him back and then boom it he still wasn't an overnight sensation but now he was in the limelight and he was yeah his career that was the launch point of his career 
he quickly, this was 1990 when he finally got the call back from SNL. And that was like my favorite year for SNL because oh, that was absolutely. the year that Chris yeah. Farley, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, David and Spade. David Spade, SNL bad boys. the SNL bad boys all came into fruition. And I honestly think those three, four, no, it was four years overall hit or miss because they took some break off to make some movies and stuff in there. But mm-hmm. those four years are probably my favorite years of SNL, hands down, at least of the current generation. I'm not going to deny the classics. Yeah. But as far as when I was watching SNL, these are by far my favorite episodes. I I think uh, in why they why they got the name SNL Bad Boys is because as they as those guys came on the cast of the late 1980s they were more so they they were more into more subdued humor and mm-hmm. these guys were using more wilder outrageous and faster paced kind of comedy oh, yeah. that SNL was not used to at least in that time yeah, period yeah i mean you start looking at folks like like well cuz during that same time you had Mike Myers you know and all these people Chris Farley i mean th- these guys were Crazy, crazy, crazy people when you compare them to their uh, their predecessors. Yeah. And it was really Mike Myers' departure that really opened the door for these guys coming in. True. Because that, that was a huge void to fill because he did so much on yeah. that show. Yeah, he did. I mean, at that point in time, Phil Hartman, uh, Dana Carvey, and Mike Myers were SNL after Eddie Murphy left. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there. I I'm struggling to. I'm sure there were other big names, but I'm thinking of like memorable sketches that I can recall off the top of my head. And for the years before the Bad Boys, those were the SNL guys. Yeah, I can't think of any other like big time, big time names that stayed for that stayed that were that memorable other than the ones that you just mentioned. So do you guys have any favorite sketches that you can think of or anything that comes to mind that's notable? I mean, I can think of lots of the bad boys, but specifically with Chris Rock. Well, with Chris Rock, of course, Cheat Pete was my favorite. um, And that kind of that spawned from I'm going to get you, sucker. But uh, there was one sketch where it was the my son, the college graduate. I don't know if you guys ever saw that one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That one one was one. That was another one of my favorites where... uh, he he was playing the dad and his son comes in. He's all proud that his son is a graduate and his son was talking to him. And every time his son would say something like, well, you, 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 are you making fun of me? Because, because I can't say a word like ignorant or something like that. And he would just get madder and madder. And like, no, no, dad. I just, it, it, it was, that was another one of my favorites is that one. My son, college graduate, Nike Turkey. Yes. <laughs> that was a good one the pump the pump up the turkey you have to pump it up he had a lot of really great impressions too um, yeah because i remember he did like an impression of flavor Flav at one point um and arsenio hall i think was a really famous one um he even impersonated eddie murphy from what i remember yeah yeah i think, I think I so think right. i don't yeah you're right but it kind of all came crashing down in the 93 to 94 season. And there's all various stories as to why the bad boys were let go from SNL. But basically, uh, at the end of that season, Chris Farley had done some movies. Adam Sandler's career was taking off in other places. 
Rob Schneider was kind of along for the ride and same with David Spade and Chris Rock. And there was disagreement with Lauren Michaels and they just weren't offered a contract. There was not a contract dispute. He just never offered them a contract. He said, we're taking the show in a different direction and they were effectively all fired. Yeah. Um, leading into that, Chris Rock was in negotiation to start doing some movie roles. And I think, and as, as were all of these other guys, and I think Lauren Michaels said, they're just going to come back and ask for too much money and we're overstocked on talent. So let them go. Yeah. And so, uh, I did read something about there were some creative differences, which kind of led to the end of his, his run on SNL. And he moved over to In Living Color right after he left SNL, but then the show canceled a month, like after he joined. Yep. Um, mm. but the creative difference is I didn't remember him being on In Living Color, but that would be why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he only, he did a very few number of episodes that might be something to look up before I ask my trivia question. <laughs> Rick, let me cheat. Let me cheat. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I'm getting up Google right now. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because I had, I didn't recall that at all because I, I remember obviously the Wayans brothers and, and Jim Carrey and a lot of the other people. But yeah, I, I guess that makes sense why I wouldn't though if he was only on there for a month. So, so but he did an interview and he said, um, that "I'm just I'm just going to read what he said because I felt it it kind of tells the how the differences were." He said, "The culture is changing." Rock tells Moran about the state of sketch comedy in 1993 when he joined in Living Color. And I'm not part of it. This blank is getting hit. This blank is getting blacker. This blank is getting effing rappier. SNL is still a pretty white show. When I got hired, I was the first black guy in like eight years. And In Living Color was just hit. The blank was hot. I wanted to be in an environment where I didn't have to translate the comedy to what I wanted to do. Right. Interesting. So that. Yeah, I, I kind of read a, a little bit on, I w as I was doing some research for this episode, I kind of read up on his interview, and I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so he uh, reached out to Keenan Ivory Waynes, who was the executive producer of In Living Color, and he was offered a producing and writing role for what would have been their third season, end of the second, into the third on Fox, which Fox was, you know, up and coming and a relatively new network at that point. It's crazy to think about that Fox, yeah. you know, really isn't that old as far as broadcast TV goes. And they had a primetime sketch show that had a cult following. It didn't have a mainstream following, and that was part of the problem. Right. Yeah. At least Leave not it to until Fox to, to cancel another great cult show. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then it'll, you know, resurge for decades later. You know, it'll go on for decades beyond its prime thanks to syndication, which is the other thing that they're famous for. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, as you beat me to the punch, uh, Chris Rock goes to, um, in Living Color, he appears on a very limited number of episodes, although it does a lot of behind-the-scenes things, and then the show is canceled, and that's that. Um, shortly thereafter, and I never knew this, do you guys remember the movie CB4, Cell Block 4? No. I never saw it. I, I remember like hearing about it, but I've never seen it. So Cell Block 4 was basically like the This Is Spinal Tap of a rap group. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's it's done not it's it's mixed the documentary in with a dramatic comedy plot. 
So it's not exactly the same, but they kind of have the same vibe because throughout the movie, there's a lot of like interviews with the quote unquote real people. And then they also got a lot of like celebrities like Ice Cube and other artists who appear in it and then talk gotcha. about their characters in the movie. It's like, yeah, I remember when I heard these guys, you know, come off the street and they were up and coming and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the, those scenes are kind of like spliced in throughout the movie. The movie kind of parodies like NWA up and coming as far as that type of group. But basically, Cell Block 4 is a group of three guys that have tried everything to make it as a rap career. And they go to their local, um, there's a guy named MC Gusto or MC Gusto who is like a, he's a record producer, uh, owns a club, and he's also like an organized crime guy. And they go to him to try and get their foot in the door to get it a album dropped. And then when they're there, he gets arrested on I like racketeering or possession charges or something. Place gets raided and he gets arrested. And Chris Rock assumes his identity. And then they start producing huh. music under the group name Cell Block 4 or CB4, Cell Block 4. Cause they, and they're in the story they invent for themselves, they all met in Cell Block 4. Ah, got it. Got but it. In, real, in real life, these are three guys that are like as common everyday guys as you can be. And they've <laughs> never been gangsta. Yeah. They've never encountered that life. And it's just them pretending. And it's we used to play on movie. the same lacrosse team. <laughs> exactly. <It's, laughs> uh, Phil Hartman plays the uh, plays a senator who's trying to get them shut down because MC, uh, you know, Chris Rock's iteration of MC Gusto is uh, or MC Gusto is uh, overtaken uh, overtaken Phil Hartman as his son's idol, and he's got a great line in the movie, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it because it's been forever. He's like, "I cannot stand here and allow the travesty of these men wearing their hats backwards to oh, replace me as my son's idol." <laughs> and it's delivered in a very Phil Hartman esque way that only I, he can do. He was one totally of my hear it. yeah. He's one of my favorite parts of SNL as well. Like he was just so so terrific. He he plays a senator who's set, shutting down one of their uh, concerts uh, for lewd behavior because their hit song is called "Sweat of My Balls." <laughs> and, when, and Phil Hartman can't say his character can't ever say it without like cringing. So he's like, "You will not play that sweat of my song in here, or you will all be arrested for public indecency." <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the movie Marcy X? Yes. With Lisa yeah. Kudrow and Damon Wayans. It, that reminded me very much of that because there's a whole thing in there about how uh, uh, Damon is trying to change his image. I can't remember what his character's name is in the show, um, but he's trying to change his image from like this like bad boy rowdy guy to like a more sensible, mature musician. And he writes a song called like, Let Me Love You in the Butt or something like that. And of course, it does not go over well. And so, like the PR stunt that Lisa Kudrow has to do is like, "Oh no, that's not what that means. That's not what that means." Like, well, what does it mean? It means with love and respect. <laughs> oh, in the butt means with love and respect. <laughs> Got it. Wasn't wasn't his character named like Doctor S? It might have been. Yeah, that sounds right. It's been literally like ten years since I've seen this movie, but that that sounds right. So 
I was going to say, so CB4 was made, it was written by Chris Rock and it was made on a budget for $6 million. It made $10 million in, uh, in nationwide distribution theatrically. So it was considered to be a financial success for a independent film, but it was kind of critically panned. It's got a cult following, much like a lot of the movies that I love. Yeah. And you uh, no, no. So <laughs> it's from a traditional standpoint, it's considered to be a box office flop just because of the way it was panned and they didn't get super wide distribution. But the movie actually made money, which kind of kept Chris's career going. Gotcha. Gotcha. So shortly thereafter, uh, then he does, he, then that movie catches the attention of HPO and they allow him on the half hour comedy special. I don't know if you guys remember the half hour comedy special. It used to be on after Tales from the Crypt. Yep. After, mm-hmm. you know, right after we snuck out of our parents telling us to go to bed on Sunday night and we would watch yeah. Tales from the Crypt and then the half hour comedy special and then we'd get yelled at and Monday morning would be terrible. I, I watched Tales from the Crypt, but I never watched the half-hour comedy special. Well, then you needed to stay up another half hour, sir. <laughs> I guess so. Because that was the 11 o'clock <laughs> hour. 11 o'clock was Tales from the Crypt. 11.30 was half-hour comedy hour. Midnight was that was... other show I'm not going to say that I know we all watched, too. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't recall as much, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Something about cats, right? No. <laughs> Sure. Dr. Cats. That's what it was. Dr. Cats. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. The the animated shrink. Yeah. You guys remember that show? <laughs> I remember a clown. Anyway. <laughs> no, I know anyway. it's not the show you're talking about, but do you guys remember Dr. Cats? I do. That was such a great yeah. show. Like it was like kind of that squiggle animation, like similar to like home movies. And yes. and I don't mm-hmm. remember who played Dr. Cats, but he was a he was a psychiatrist and he would talk with his patients who were all, you know, everyone in the show was animated, obviously, but they were all voiced by like famous comedians. So he had people like Stephen Wright on there and uh, uh, mm. John Lithgow and a bunch of bunch of really famous, funny people. And it, it's hilarious. I feel like there's shows that are like that now that are similar, like almost like a robot chicken type thing. But it was all based like in specifically like a therapy session. It was it was really funny. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to think of uh, the people. I'm trying to think of they didn't. I think they did another animation that was that had that same kind of Doctor Katz feel, but it was like, oh god, I can't think of the name. Are you thinking of, it of now. the critic? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I-, I was gonna say the critic was. It was similar in humor, but it was a different animation style. Yeah, and a different and and John different- Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah that's it and it was yeah. a different format too because that was more like the simpsons or like king of the hill where it like had a very much in 26 minutes there's going to be a conflict and a resolution where where dr Katz was more like they were like five minute vignettes and it just yes, it was okay. like yeah it was like an adult yeah. swim like like mini type show it was Way before Adult Swim even existed, though. But that that's more what it felt like was like an Adult Swim or like Comedy Central, like little vignette that you'd put between like comedy acts, except it would be 30 minutes straight of those little vignettes. Um, I, re- I remember that now. Yeah, I was I, I was confusing it with I was I was confusing the two. Yeah. Although I did love the critic. I remember there was uh, an episode where he was trying to lose weight and um, 
because he was a little heavier, he could actually play the trumpet with his belly button. And, yeah. and, then, as, and then as he started losing weight, he couldn't do it anymore. Um, and, and he was really sad about it. And then he started putting the pounds back on and was very thrilled that he could once again trumpet belly button. So that that episode makes me think of the Family Guy episode where uh, Peter loses all the weight and uh, at the, they get they get it all liposuctioned out or no, 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 no. no. Where he he's he starts losing weight, but then Lois starts gaining weight, and so it created like this big this big issue between the two of them, and so they finally got it all liposuctioned out. But Peter really missed that, and so after the procedure was done, they open up the door to like the closet of the hospital, and he's like making out with all of her fat, and he goes, "Yes, this is what it looks like." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That was definitely during the era of Comedy Central animation being on par because it was before Adult Swim took off and you had they had a 90-minute block that was Dr. Katz, The Critic, and Jason Alexander's Duckman. Oh, yeah. Duckman yeah, was great. Duckman. And then and you had South Park at that point too, but it wasn't part of that same block. And that was back when right. South Park was still like week to week like – actually made from construction paper cut out onto flat boards as opposed to mm-hmm. CGI like it is you now. You get like 10 episodes a season and you would wait forever for between episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what were we talking about? Yeah, Chris Rock, right? <laughs> we were talking about the half-hour comedy hour. <laughs> or a half hour. So, <laughs> the half-hour comedy hour. So uh, the special that Chris – the the special as it's re-aired, that is Big Ass Jokes. I don't know if you're familiar with the album Big Ass Jokes, but the album comes from the same stand-up set that he performed on the Half Hour Comedy Hour. And when they re-air it on TV, it's listed as Big Ass Jokes. So Big Ass Jokes was one of those... Um, it was the album where he finally found his voice. That's where he started doing the higher pitch and the cadence was there. Yep. And he mm-hmm. really had it on lock because previous to this, most of his sets, like New York comedy is known for being between eight to 12 minutes. So a lot of comedians struggle to make it like a half hour, let alone an hour, 90 minutes. And this mm-hmm. was kind of his, as far as his stand up ability, this was his breakout point when he finally found his stride. Sure. He ended up winning a Emmy or no, he won a Grammy for the album Big Ass Jokes and immediately followed up with a one hour special called Bring the Pain in 96, which is another great stand up that they still air late at night on HBO. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. It's definitely good. Although my favorite that he ever did was was bigger and blacker. That's that's my all time favorite. Yeah. Um, and that's right about the time I really started getting into his his comedy because like I watched SNL, but like I didn't really know a lot of the actors. And then I would see them like in movies and I would start to learn who they were. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was probably like 13 or 14 that I really started making a lot more of those connections um, that now I make pretty much instantly. But but yeah, that that's special. I remember seeing that um, in a hotel because we didn't have HBO or whatever. And it was a rerun of it. So it had already been out for like probably six months at that point. And I had you know heard people talking about Chris Rock. Um, I knew that that was uh, the era when everyone on the bus had their uh, disc men. 
And a lot of people were either listening to that album or Adam Sandler had one that came out right about the same time with the sloppy Joe lady and all that stuff on it. Um, I can't think of what that's called now, but uh, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and people were always listening to one of those two albums. And so when I finally saw the the stand up, like the actual video and audio together, one of the one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing is he's talking about gun control and how we don't need gun control. We need bullet control. And every bullet, <laughs> the way he says it, every bullet's going to be $5,000. Like the way he says it, it's just like so $5,000. This very, very specific. <laughs> he's talking about like having to put bullets on layaway and <laughs> there'll be no innocent bystanders because that guy's gonna be pulling that bullet from your dead ass and like it was just so funny um yep he's, he goes on to say something like he's like the police wouldn't even have to worry about it it's like if they show up to a crime scene like this guy did something they put fifty thousand dollars worth of bullets in his ass <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it came because I think he was talking about the trench coat mafia before that because it was shortly after Columbine and everything like yep. that. And his thing after he's like talking, you know, sensibly about it, you know, talking about this whole thing and how a tragedy it was like, whatever happened to crazy? <laughs> 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 when I was in school, we had crazy kids. We all knew who they were. <laughs> Um, you know, and talking about how these guys had no friends, but there were six of them. <laughs> yep. I, I didn't even have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was just say looking at my notes because I finally got to the notes where we we're going to talk about bigger and blacker, and it was '97. Okay, so it was before I was uh, driving. Yeah, because I figured that because I remember being on the bus. So I yeah, I would have been like 11 or 12, which makes me feel a little bit better that I, you know knew who Chris Farley was before puberty. So that, that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just remember listening um, and watching that in a hotel and my dad and uh, my brother were out of the room. I don't remember what they were doing. Like they went to go get like ice or a soda or something like that. And they came back and I'm, I'm laughing pretty hard and like every other word out of Chris Rock's mouth, I don't remember what the exact bit was, but every other word is either, <laughs> I can imagine. either the F word or the N word, like back to back to back to back. My dad is like, what the hell what the are hell? you watching? <laughs> it was really That's good. That's enough TV for you. Yep. <laughs> so Around that time. So where does the Chris Rock show fit into this time period? All right, so where the Chris Rock show comes in is actually after Bring the Pain, which was the 96 presidential election. During that time when he was promoting his comedy tour, mm -hmm. uh, he was on Politically Incorrect uh, with Bill Maher, which was right. at that time a Comedy Central vehicle. It ended up moving to HBO, but not until after the election. But because of how popular he was on that one appearance on Politically Incorrect, he became a regular guest. And then for the presidential election, they decided to make him the political correspondent. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great because Chris Rock truly didn't take a side one way or the other. He went. Over and he didn't really know a heck of a lot of politics either. So it was always funny to hear his take on everything. Exactly. Because. He literally, when he would interview people or when he was watching an interview and commenting on it, he literally took apart what they were saying and it didn't matter, you know, which party, whatever, not to get into politics. 
he went after both sides with the same amount of force. Oh, yeah. And it was <laughs> yeah. great. And because of how well that went, HBO offered him the contract uh, for the Chris Rock show, which was a more general talk show, much like, you know, like an Arsenio type show. But very, you know, there was a lot of, I don't want to say politically driven, but it was definitely a part of it. It was very, it was a nice compliment to politically incorrect. Yeah. And it, it was another, he did a lot of sketches on this show too, which again, drew me to watching the show because that I really do enjoy sketch comedy. So I, I enjoyed watching the Chris Rock show. Absolutely. And it lasted on HBO for four years. And at that point, um, Chris Rock just kind of felt that his friends that he was doing the show with had started to move on to bigger and better things. And he just kind of wanted to, in an interview, he said that he wanted to walk away on top like Jordan is what he said. You know, he wanted to do the Michael Jordan thing. He's like, I'm at the top of my game and this is good. And I just want to leave it at that. So he chose not to renew his contract and the show ended after, I believe, five seasons. Five seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And he won uh, two primetime Emmys over the course. Or not primetime. He won two Emmys over the course of that uh, time for the show's run. Very highly acclaimed. Great show. You can watch the Best of Volume 1 and 2 for free on YouTube. I highly recommend you go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, during the course of the show, he started to branch out. Because as he realizes that the show is going to start, you know, as he's going to leave the show... He branches out, and that's kind of leading into the bigger, why he did the bigger and blacker tour. The album came out in 97, but the actual road tour was in 99. But the comedy special was in 97. Um, Okay. During that time, uh, he took uh, independent movie roles. He was in Dogma, uh, the Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob movie, which is one Mm, of my... All-time favorite movies in that movie, Chris. Yeah, what a star-studded cast, too. Like, just unbelievable with God being played by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you had Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and George Carlin. Hans Gruber. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was just, all I was going to say is in that movie, Chris Rock plays um, the apostle that was left out of the Bible because he was black. <laughs> <laughs> and his he portrays the role just like his comedy routine and in that it felt like Chris Rock being Chris Rock and it just fit the movie perfectly and it is by far one of my favorite movies definitely top five around the same time frame he was in the Chris Farley movie uh, Beverly Hills Ninja where he played the uh, bellboy at the hotel Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. he was in Lethal Weapon 4 with uh, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover and to be honest, I I think that Lethal Weapon 4, I think I saw that before I saw Dogma. Interesting. Or they were the same time frame. But my first thought of Chris Rock in acting, for whatever reason, is Lethal Weapon 4. And that's another movie where Chris Rock is playing Chris Rock. But in that movie, he's a, uh, you know, he's a police detective. And yeah. a lot of people... A lot of people poo-poo on Lethal Weapon 4, but I'm I'm pretty happy with all the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna I, I was gonna say like I've watched all the Lethal Weapon movies, but 
I was four was the one that I remember the least. Fair. But I, I don't have any reason. I, I, I don't remember disliking the movie, but I just don't really remember it all that well. That's fair. Uh, he also was in, he also co-starred in Nurse Betty with uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, he was in The Longest Yard, uh, Bad Company, and Down to Earth. And what I love about Down to Earth is Down to Earth is basically a remake of the Warren Beatty movie, Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever seen Down to Earth? No. 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 So, so the general premise is a person dies too soon. Uh, and this is speaking the general premise of both movies, but a person dies too soon and he gets the option to go back to Earth and inhabit the body of an old, rich white man to try and make it to try and make right by all of their, you know, indiscretions and wrongdoings. Mm-hmm. Huh. And uh, it's an it's a romantic comedy. I highly recommend it. It's a good date movie. I definitely like Down to Earth way more than Warren Beatty. <laughs> or as Adam would as Adam would say, Warren Beatty. <laughs> or as I would say, Warren Beauty. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Learning um, something new about Brian. That's right. <laughs> he was a very handsome Dick Tracy, so <laughs> uh but yeah, um, the only movie I can really recall of his seeing, other than like in very recent memory with like like grown ups and stuff like that, um, was oh, there was a movie that he was in where he was president or oh my gosh, what was that movie called now? Oh, that's gonna bug me. Um I do not recall. <laughs> um, let me see. I'll look this up. Hold please. Okay. He was the voice of the zebra in Madagascar for those of our listeners that have had kids that have had to watch Madagascar more times than they can remember. I will say that he is the person that made that movie bearable for me. Him and the lemur. The I uh King Julian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but those are the only two characters in that movie that make it bearable for me. I make every, it every every time I think of Madagascar, I just think of that stupid song, the circus afro. kill me circus afro kill me (laughs) (laughs) the movie i was uh thinking of was head of state by the way oh yeah i forgot about head of state yeah it's him and uh and bernie mac were in that and uh and it marked uh chris rock's directorial debut so he was the oh. he was the director of the film. So um but I remember that being quite an amusing film. So I probably haven't seen it since 2003, but um it did re- relatively well. It earned all of its money and then some back at the box office. So um and it was a Dreamworks movie, which is always amazing when they have movies that aren't CGI. So um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that covers pretty much everything I had about Chris Rock. Do you guys have any favorite roles or sketches that we didn't cover? I not not the ones that we haven't already covered. I guess the the one that we didn't really mention. What one of the sketches was from the Chris Rock show and how not to get your ass kicked by the police. Oh my god! Was, how did we miss that? That's like the most famous ever. Oh. <laughs> I was waiting for us to talk about it. We kind of moved on. I was like, oh, I'll just let it go. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that one. Um, Nat X was another uh, favorite of mine during SNL, where he was the he was a black perspective talk show host. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. it was 
It's kind of similar to like the late night talk show host of, of the day. And it, it was uh, on SNL. Um, trying to think of some of my other favorites. He had a ton of sketches that were just were hilarious, yeah. but you kind of forgotten that he had that it was his sketch, like because he had been he had been done so many good ones in SNL. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, I don't know, a lot of great lines from his stand up comedy too. That um, you know, he's talking about how the hell do you get held back in first grade? <laughs> four plus four is Jello. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> insurance isn't case shit. <laughs> Oh, man. So, well, I guess that wraps up our discussion on Chris Rock. So now we're going to move on to some Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Hey guys, sorry to keep everyone waiting. Oh, hey Adam, did you just get here? Yeah, my bad. Uh, I was just nuking some bagel bites before we got things going. You know, my easy bake oven is kind of on the fritz. And sorry, you <laughs> oh, know. Man. Anyway, um, so are you guys ready to start recording? Oh, jeez. Um, well, we actually thought we'd do things a little bit different this episode. How would you feel Wait, instead if we started with some huh? nostalgia combat? <gasps> nostalgia. Hell yeah! <laughs> Soft kitty, warm kitty, something shiny. Anyway, hey guys. <laughs> I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will lead their chat next week. Brian has the music group TLC, and Adam has the TV show Are You Afraid of the Dark? You guys ready? Yes. Oh yeah. Wait, was that a question? or? Yeah. You guys ready? Okay, moving on. <laughs> that was actually the trivia question. No, is, are you, are ready, you afraid yes of the no? dark? Oh. <laughs> I, I, thought, I, I thought it was, are you afraid of the dark, a question. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it technically is, but it's also a show. It can be both. Ooh. Well, there you have it, <laughs> folks. <All> right. <laughs> Groundbreaking stuff here. <laughs> All right. On to the topic of Chris Rock. Uh, as discussed... Chris Rock left SNL to take in a producer role at In Living Color. He was also a stage performer, or stage performer? I I guess what's the proper term? Cast member? We'll go with cast member. Cast he was member. also a cast good. member, but he was only on a finite number of episodes before the show was prematurely canceled by Fox. Where have I heard that before? Huh. <laughs> Shocking. Anyways, how many episodes <laughs> was Chris Rock a featured cast member on In Living Color before its cancellation? Hold on. <laughs> what? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you, you come late with no pizza bites for the rest of us. <laughs> and then I tried and, to and cheat. And now you're going to cheat? <laughs> um, I am going to guess... Um, I'm going to say seven episodes. Okay. Brian? I'm going to say four. Okay. I'm doing math in my head because this is closer than I wanted it to be. (laughs) (laughs) I was really confused. I was like, wait, was that a big of an issue that there's... (laughs) What's going on? Why is Paul quiet? (laughs) (laughs) Unless there's a half episode, the math should be pretty easy. Come on. (laughs) We gotta know. 
there might be a half episode, but no, there you have it. The answer was six. Adam is our winner, and he will be guiding us through the topic of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, there you have it, folks. (laughs) Adam (laughs) will be guiding us through the land of Are You Afraid of the Dark next time. I still, unfortunately, have... Uh, TLC in my pocket. I guess I'm not very good at this game, unfortunately. Um, but we do still need to go visit the Hopper of Imagination to get another topic for our friend Paul. Yes. We want to remind we all do. of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at our website, www.datingourselvespodcast.com. I don't know why I keep saying yes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you're, you're in a giving mood. Yes. Yes. So uh, we are going to visit the Hopper of Imagination here. Uh, so I have gotten Paul his categories here. So the way this works, if you're just tuning in, is we uh, give them three topics and they have to pick the topic and then they're scheduled topic will come from that so for instance uh like we could say tv series or something then it would be that so um for those listening we are going to go go ahead and get started so paul your topic choices are tv series video game or events Mm. see the last time i chose an event i ended up talking about the clinton administration (laughs) and i'm not sure i want to go down that road again (laughs) <laughs> i'm trying to remember the last time we did a video game was it unreal tournament it might have been uh, i don't know i'd have to double check i can't imagine it was that long ago and hold please adam already has a tv series so right now i'm leaning toward video game pokemon was the last time we did oh, one. yeah we did oh, do pokemon. Yeah, yeah. okay i guess I'll... that was still a that was still a bit ago though like pokemon was last year you know yeah um september all right, I'm going to just go with my gut and go video game. I like that. All right, Paul, your video game is Dr. Mario. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Cool, cool. Well, uh, there you have it, folks. Um, be sure to check in with us uh, next time. Uh, more information on that in just a moment. But next time, uh, we will be discussing the topic of Are You Afraid of the Dark, led by our good friend Adam. And then future episodes, Paul will be discussing Dr. Mario, and I will be discussing Music Group TLC. We will be taking the month of June off from releasing any new content, however. That being said, we will be back on July 2nd with our discussion, as mentioned, on Are You Afraid of the Dark. Thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. Well, I speak for everyone here when I say thank you, Dan, for joining us on one more of these episodes. Yeah, no problem. I really love being on the show. I love listening to the show, so it's always an honor to to be a part of be a part of uh, dating ourselves. So, whenever you guys want to have me back on, I will be more than willing. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, feel free to come by whenever, Dan. But uh, while you're still here, would you like to read a couple lines for us? Would I? Sure. Well, gee whiz. Uh, <laughs> gee golly. 
<laughs> if you like what you heard, there's more to come. Check out the show at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn no to learn more about us and the show. And check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at AOL.com. We've, We've got, got mail. mail. Oh, yeah. There's an In addition... Here. <laughs> in stereo <laughs> in addition to iTunes you can also find us on TuneIn Radio Google Music and wherever you find your podcasts please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwback action. oh yeah throwback action. we post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash dating ourselves podcast if you're on Instagram you can find us at dating ourselves podcast and we do the Twitter thing too at dated podcast and remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dated. Bye, guys. See you. Later. Later.